0: If take out your Bibles, uh, open to the book of Romans, chapter 15. Uh, this is the second to the last week uh, of our series through uh, the book of Romans. And uh, it was tempting to try to do this whole last section all together. And then I thought, that might be a one-hour sermon and thought better of it. We're going to split it up into two parts. And I will say, you're welcome. You're welcome in advance. So, uh, It is common for organizations and churches to keep in front of its people Uh, Their mission and their vision, right? Mission is the what. Vision is the how, how we're going about this. And we do the same right here in our bulletin, right on the front, we have the mission statement of Bethel Church, which is leading people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. This means if you come to the church and you're an atheist, we welcome you here, we welcome your exploration Of the Christian faith, but we're going to try to move you to an agnostic. If you're an agnostic and you come here, you're not so sure about this, and you're questioning and listening and joining us in the service, that is an awesome and an honor, and we want to move you to a theist. (laughs) And if you're a theist, you believe there's a God, but you're not really sure about this Jesus thing, then we want to move you to a Christian theist. If you're a Christian theist, you've become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to move you to a mature disciple of Jesus you're a mature disciple of Jesus, we want to move you to being missional with the gospel for the sake of the lost. So wherever you are on the spectrum, growth is what's important to us. We want to lead people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> How do we go about doing that? And on the back page, you can see our vision here. Uh, the second box down, we've, uh, we envision a caring community that equips the whole family of God to follow Jesus. In other words, we weren't meant to do this alone in isolation. We were meant to do this as a body, as a community, giving and receiving from one another so that we will grow together. So a caring community that equips. This is an equipping church. We give a lot of instruction here. And it's not just top-down instruction, but side to side. As you're in small groups and in various ministries, we're trying to equip one another to be a faithful disciple of Jesus, one who follows him and increasingly resembles him in the world. And we're doing this for the whole family of God. And by that, we don't just mean the nuclear family, or as I like to joke, this isn't just the Chuck E. Cheese of churches in town because we have a lot of kids. Okay? We're talking about the baby bald heads to the old fella bald heads. Okay? Everywhere in between. We want to minister to the whole family of God. So that's, what, that's sort of our mission and our vision. But interestingly, sometimes it's the values of an organization or a church or a ministry that go overlooked. And it is often the values that have a way of generating the conditions or the atmosphere or the culture of a place. Uh, and, and today we get to see some of the values of the Apostle Paul as he executes his God-given ministry. And that's what we're going to draw out. So uh, we're going to, there's eight of them in, in total. We're going to look at four this week and four next week. And we're going to get a little bit of a running start going back to verse 19. So chapter Romans 15, starting about halfway through uh, verse 19. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. I did my homework this week. <laughs> I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on the journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Pretty bold at the end there, right? Coming through, I want some assistance after I've enjoyed you. So just kind of inviting himself in. So let's look at some of these values first of all. Paul was committed to taking the gospel to the lost. And it shouldn't surprise us, right? We might say, well, yes, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. He had a particular burden and a priority to take the gospel to places where it was not known. So we would expect this value in him. In fact, as we went through the book of Acts in our previous series, we, we really saw the ministry strategy of Paul and this consistent progression that he went through where he would come into a city and he would go first into the synagogue, a place where he would find Jewish God-fearing people looking for, hoping, and waiting for God's Messiah. And he would start with them to proclaim, Jesus is that one that you've been waiting for. And very commonly there would be a bit of a response and then several would be very irate and they would sort of chase him out into the streets. And when that occurred, he would move on then to the Gentile pagans in the community and would often have uh, a ministry with them. And so whether Paul was starting with the Jewish hopeful or with the Gentile pagans, he was committed to taking the gospel to places where Jesus was not known. In fact, it seems to me that Paul was most at home on the road. Uh, He seemed to have a heart of, let's say, a gold miner to Alaskanize this. The Alaskan gold miner is always looking for virgin ground, new territory, something that hasn't yet been mined because that looks particularly fruitful. And Paul seems to have this kind of mentality. And in this way, he really reminds me of Jesus of whom it is said, the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Or to put it more bluntly, Jesus was homeless. So both Paul, both Jesus, they were constantly on the move, and they seemed to be really burdened by the unsaved condition of others. It's also interesting to me, too, that the uh, Christianity, before it was called that, was known by another description. Do you know what it was? The way. That's right. You guys are well taught, right? The way. And, how, and what's interesting about, the, yeah, so we had it before the Mandalorian, right? The way, before he absconded. And I, I think it's interesting how this communicates uh, just a sense of movement and growth and expanse and outreach, not stagnation. And what I want to try to do is look at this particular value that Paul has and lay it on top of the church today and say, how are we doing in this regard? Does the way, the Christian church today, have this same sense of gospel expanse? Are we taking it to the places where it is not known? Um, And so I want to look at our own church in this regard. And we've talked last week a little bit about leadership and the roles of leadership within the church. And last week I reminded you that the work of pastors and elders is to equip the saints with works of service. In other words, we see you guys as the evangelism ministry of the church. And we want to equip you with a clear understanding of the gospel and a sense of mission so that you will go to your unsaved friends and family members and neighbors and co-workers and that you will be the gospel outreach of the church. That is really our heartbeat. Um, And I I have to be honest with you. I think there are some times where I wonder if we struggle in that regard. I wonder how strong we are in evangelism and mission in this particular church. Um, I, I think there are plenty of areas where as a church we're mature and we have strength. But if you were to pin me down and say, where do you think we have a potential weakness? I would say outreach to our city gospel outreach to the city of Fairbanks. So let me put this more in a bit of a golf metaphor for you. Do we have any golfers in here? It's not even golf season. No. Oh, we got, like one, we got one one service and one previous service. Today we're gonna, all right, well, now we have a foursome. We've got four golfers in the church. So let me put it this way. I think Bethel Church has an amazing long game. If you think about golf, the long game is off the tee. It's your driver. It's how far you can hit the ball. I think we have an excellent gospel long game as it's reflected in missions. Over 20 different missionaries and ministries supported by this church. Over 17% of our budget is directly tied to missions in this church. This summer and frequently, we're sending two different teams out on short-term missions, 25 people going to the DR, and another half dozen or so headed to Ethiopia, where we have a child sponsorship program of about 180 kids most of whose sponsors are in this church now or have been in this church previously. So my point is, I think we have an incredible long game. We send the gospel overseas into a lot of places far from here. I also think we have a really good what I'll call short game. This is this is your putter. This is on the green. And as I see it, that's inside the walls of this church. If you walk in this church, you're going to hear the gospel. You're going to hear it in this room, and you're going to hear it in any room that you sit in. And we're going to proclaim it, and we're going to call you to respond to it. So I think the gospel is proclaimed here, and I think it's proclaimed way over there. So what I would say is, what's the weakness in our game? I think it's the mid-range game. It's our irons. Are we taking the gospel to this city where God has placed us? Do we get outside of the walls of this church and do we have a missional influence to those around us? Or let me put it to you this way and I mean to provoke you with this so if you get mad then mission has been accomplished, okay? If your personal frequency of sharing the gospel with unbelievers were normative across the body would we be Expanding or contracting is the church. I want you to think about it because it's so easy to think the gospel is what other people do, it's their responsibility. And no, I want to say it's yours and ours. What you are doing is indicative of what we all are doing. And so I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you too. I don't want to just poke you in the eye here. And so I have a some, some, uh, few places where I am particularly excited about where folks in our church are doing some great gospel outreach. And I want to just applaud them for that. First of all, there's a new ministry called Safe Families. Uh, and the director uh, or the coordinator for our church is Diana Holmes. And if you haven't heard about this, you're going to hear more in the future. But basically, it's a way to particularly to care for kids and families who might be in a little bit of a tough spot or an unanticipated struggle. Uh, sometimes uh, mom's got to go have a baby, and dad's deployed, and who's going to watch the kids for a few days, or something like this. And this is a way for the church to come alongside and say, we'll do it. We'll be happy to help out. And there's lots of opportunities like that uh, where the church can help. And it's kind of pre-evangelism. It's just showing the love of Christ and saying, we do care for you, and we want to come alongside you in this in this difficult time. Uh, another uh, couple of ministries that I'm, I'm excited about, and uh, Amy Scott is taking these two on, and she's hiding here in the service, making sure no one looks at her. But uh, one of those is a couple years ago, we had the Hoodoo Half Marathon that came running right by our church, and we said, well, let's get out there and just give them some water and just love our city. And we missed it this last year, because I didn't get on the ball soon enough, and Amy Scott said, can we do that again? Because I, I would like to head it up. And I was like, you're hired, It doesn't pay very well, but you're hired. And additionally, another one that was on her heart was just to have kind of a coat swap for kids, for families, like, hey, I'm done with this coat. Our kids have outgrown it. There's still life in it. Could take it down to Value Village, or we could bless another family in the church with it or from the community. And so this kind of a coat and clothing swap, winter clothes swap, has been a great way for people just to come in and get some better uh, stuff for their kids. I am really pleased with that kind of a a sensitivity and outreach to our community. I want to brag on another woman here, and she doesn't know I'm going to bring her up, but this last year and a half or so, Terry Langton has battled cancer and finds herself now in remission, praise God. But what you may or may not know about this is during that time when she was struggling with this, she was consistently sharing Christ with her caregivers. And many of them ended up coming to to the church here to hear the gospel proclaimed. She got to share about the confidence and the hope that she has in Jesus Christ and the security she felt even in that difficult time. And I think that is profound and an excellent example of gospel witness. Proud of our elders right now, too, who are also doing something. They're uh, on a a weekly, or excuse me, once a month, one of our elders is going over to the rescue mission to do a Sunday service, a gospel-oriented message for Uh, the folks there. And uh, it's been fascinating to hear from them how that went sometimes, sometimes better than others, particularly the singing portion. But um, that is commendable. And another opportunity just came up the other day, a buddy of mine, uh, Derek Dickinson, who's the pastor at Journey Church. He's a good friend. He called me up and said, Eric, I've had an idea. I was thinking about having an open forum in the community where skeptics or people who are questioning Christianity could come and ask any question, and we would try to field those. And he says, I don't want to do it alone. I want a wingman. Will you come? And I was like, I absolutely want to do that, and I'm scared to death. March 14th, Derek and I are going to go over to Big Daddy's. They're hosting us, and we're going to sort of take the stage. And 75 uh, meals have been purchased for people so that we can just take their questions, and do our best to present what Christianity teaches on the issue. And I would beg for your prayers for this. I am excited to do it. Uh, And I'm also not inviting you, okay? So if you're a Christian, stay home. Uh, If you're one of these that is questioning uh, or a skeptic or or curious about Christianity, um, then by all means, come. Or if you want to bring a friend who is questioning, who might not darken the door of a church, but might come to a venue like that and take some barbecue and watch a couple pastors get roasted, then bring them, and um, we're going to do it. And I do, please, please pray for us for that, March 14. But here's what I want you to hear. If we believe that hell is real and that the gospel is true, then love for our neighbor should compel us to be actively looking for opportunities for gospel conversation an engagement with those who don't yet know Jesus. If hell is real and the gospel is true, we need to be on mission. Amen? Now, Someone might say, well, that was Paul. That was his gifting. That was his calling. But Jesus also wants us to have this same heart for the lost. When he closes off his threefold parable about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son, He concludes by saying this, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. Gospel expanse, gospel outreach is not just the burden of the apostle Paul or his value. It is the value of heaven. It is the value of Jesus Christ. It is the value of the angels there. It needs to be our value as well. So while Paul is pioneering into sort of new regions with the gospel, and that was his priority, we also find out that he's not just a drive-by shooter, so to speak. He doesn't just drop in and drop gospel bombs and then run away. But he would embed himself in communities for as long as they would have him. And even where he might have had to flee for safety, he would come back and he would encourage or he would write to them and even at times correct them. He was a blessing to these communities, and he was willing to receive blessing from them as well. Uh, So look with me at verse 23. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. So the second value that we see here is Paul was committed to encouraging the saints. And he was willing to draw strength from them as well. And so in this, I think we get a good picture of what Christian maturity looks like. Maturity in the body of Christ is not absolute independence. It's interdependence. It's give and take relationships of mutual blessing. I was talking to a missionary a number of years ago... And this this man told me that he felt like his spiritual gift was autonomy. And I thought, I don't don't think so. (laughs) I I don't think that's, number one, not on any of the spiritual gifts list that I've ever seen. And number two, I don't see it on the page of scriptures at all. God has called Christians to Christian community. He calls us together. Even the apostles that went out did so in teams, right? Disciples were sent out two by two. We're called to Christian community. In fact, the body of Christ, that whole metaphor, is meant to convey the concept of interdependence, right? 1 Corinthians 12 says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, And we are all given the one spirit to drink. So even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. In other words, we have all of us been given a spiritual gift that God has entrusted to us that we are meant to use in service to the the Christian body. Um, And I think it's fascinating that God, everybody has at least one. And nobody has all of them. God has made like all of us somewhat incomplete so that we need one another. We depend upon each other. And you might be asking, you know, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. How would I even determine that? Uh, I've listed on your notes on the backside five different passages that I think list out the spiritual gifts. And I will say, I don't know that these are exhaustive. There may be others, but I'd stay pretty concise to pretty tight to what the scripture says rather than coming up with your own, like autonomy or something like this. Some of you might say, I have the spiritual gift of snow machining. No, you don't. And I think also one of the ways we are able to determine what our spiritual gift is, is not just because we select it, but very often it's what other Christians tell us when they say, this is a way that you bless me. This is a way you encourage me or help me grow. And I think that's really the purest way we might see what somebody's spiritual gift is. So I'm going to run this through my life so you can see it in me a little bit. I'll be the example here. So I think I have a cluster. I think there are three gifts that people have affirmed in me. The first would be teaching, and you guys get to see that regularly. Second would be shepherding or pastoring. And then my third one would be leadership. I'm not the strongest leader, but I have some of that in me. Okay, So that I would see as my my gift. Makeup, And I know some of you are going, what are your non-gifts? <laughs> What's at the bottom of the list? So I know the way you think, and I will give you that. Um, some of my non-gifts, and you could ask anybody that knows me well, one of, one of my lowest would be administration. I'm terrible at this. Scheduling, uh, turning in uh, receipts and accounting and ordering uh, things and giving design and shape. I can't even talk about it. you see? It's just, it's, a, it's just, you can't see your own blind spot. You know what I mean? But people have told me I'm bad at this. <laughs> Administration, it's, I'm not strong in it at all. Um, and you can ask Sharina and Gracie and anyone who has to work with me in the office, they know that. My lowest though, probably, and this is hard to say, but to be truthful, is Service. I struggle with that, and the way this gets worked out in me is, I'm, first of all, I have a hard time seeing the thing that needs to happen, but if I do see it, my leadership kicks in, and I go, oh, we've got to get some people on this. Let's mobilize some folks, so that's just kind of what that looks like. What I mean to say is I really need people who are gifted administratively. I really need people who are gifted in service, We need, the body of Christ needs each other for our strengths and our weaknesses. Interdependence is the sign of a healthy Christian, a healthy leader, and a healthy church community. Third value here, Paul was committed to collecting resources for the needy in the church. Verse 25. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service for the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were uh, pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. And uh, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. So Paul here seems to be especially concerned about those in the body of Christ who are poor and vulnerable. And in this particular instance, historically, it was a famine that had created some of this this need. And, And really the point that we should see in this is what a shame it would be, what a shame it would be if there were real needs and real vulnerability but it was the secular state who outpaced the contributions and generosity of the church to care for its own family. What a shame if among our own ranks we were outgiven by those who don't even belong to the church. And so it is where there is a legitimate need within the body of Christ. It is the duty and it is the privilege of the body of Christ to meet that need. That needs to be done carefully. We need to guard against things like dependency, right, and abuse. We have to be careful about that. But generosity within the church family uh, and to the broader church was a clear value of the early church and the apostles' teaching. Uh, We see this again in 1 Timothy 6. uh, Paul speaking to Timothy in Ephesus, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Generosity should mark the people of God. And I think that actually generosity is an incredible gospel witness to the unbelieving community as well. Uh, the, the sort of the tenor of most people is to make as much as they can, to keep as much as they can, to play as much as they can, and to live right up to the hilt of their income or beyond. What if the church community was known as a people who purposefully live below their means to generate a margin so that they could be generous and willing to share with those in need, especially among their own ranks? What if that generosity was seen and known? I think it would be an incredible gospel witness because people would say, those folks are different. Their hearts have clearly been changed by something because they're not living the same selfish way that others are. Um, One of the ways that we get to do that here at Bethel Church, uh, we have what we call a benevolent fund. And you may not know about this. We don't uh, talk about it too much, but I want to talk about it this morning. Um, This is a fund that we have where as we learn about people in our church that maybe had a tough month or having trouble making ends meet or need a little help, some crisis came up they didn't see, uh, we have a fund that the pastors, elders, and deacons can uh, distribute to them. Uh, and you can give to this fund if you want. Uh, just notate that on your check or however you're giving it, specifically that it's for benevolence. And I'll tell you that right now, that account's in great shape. And so I'm not trying to whip up money for that. Uh, we've been really blessed to be able to give it in, in different places, but it's it's still in, in good shape. Uh, but maybe sometime you know a friend who is in a place of need, and they might be too scared to say anything, and you might Contact the pastors or elders and say, I think this person could use a little help and we'll look into it for you. Or if it's you and you go, I didn't see this coming. I'm stuck. I need help. Uh, please ask us. It's the privilege of the body of Christ to help out. Maybe you find yourself with a little extra windfall you didn't see and you might go, I know what I can do with this. I can put this in the benevolent fund for that day when it's needed by someone else. So just something to think about there. Fourth value, last one here. Paul was committed to a prayer-based ministry. Verse 30. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. So the question that I want to ask you to consider is, where does prayer fit into your present life and ministry? How does it factor into your everyday discipleship? When life gets hard, challenges come, unanticipated adversity arises. What is your tendency? Do you roll up your sleeves to get to work? Or do you drop to your knees and pray that God would intervene? I know my own tendency is get to work, make a list. What do I need to do? And I know my tendency needs to be to go to God, to go to God first. Um, And and I'm going to be really transparent here. I noticed in my own life uh, how prayer has gotten crowded out. And sort of the chief thing in my life that I think crowds out prayer is my phone. And what happens is we have these little moments of margin in our life. And unfortunately, in my own life, and I suspect in many of yours, what we tend to do is fill every gap with a glance to the phone whether we're checking email or texting or the weather or playing Candy Crush or whatever it is you do, we, we have this thing that acts like a pacifier in our life, right? To satiate us for a moment, but not to nourish us or to give us any real good. And I've noticed in my life that it tends to crowd out those little gaps that often before were used for prayer so that I am finding that I need to not just get rid of my phone. That's not going to happen. That's not the world we live in. But I need to set aside time for prayer. Um, I remember as a college student, um, my home church in Apple Valley hired me to to come home on weekends to kind of restart the youth group there. Um, And so on Fridays, I would leave school and I would drive home in my 1981 Toyota blue SR5 manual pickup truck. Wish I still had it. and it didn't have any kind of cassette tape or radio that really worked. So that hour and a half drive from school uh, home to my home church was a time that I would pray. And I would pray for the ministry that was gonna happen that weekend, and then after the weekend, I'd drive back on Sunday nights to school, and I would pray on the way back. I had three hours of concerted prayer on a weekend in that, that little blue truck, and that cab became a sanctuary for me My truck today is well-equipped with the ability to connect wirelessly to my phone so that all I have to do is hit the button and make a phone call and talk as I'm driving. And many of you have been on the other end of those phone calls. And I try to redeem the time when I'm driving. My point is, I am driving out prayer with digital technology. And I know I need to set aside more time to do it. And I wonder how you're doing. There was a organization Time Inc. did a study on the habits of, media habits of 20-year-olds. You ready for this? Media habits of 20-year-olds change media sources 27 times an hour. I don't even know how that's possible. Um, that same group, they check their phone 190 times per day. 190 times a day. I kind of don't, don't want to count how many times I check my phone a day. It could be close. What I'm saying is, I know I and we need to set aside time for prayer. Um, I do want to uh, affirm, there's a couple in this church, um, they pray for me every Sunday uh, on their way here from their home to church, and it's John and then Lingus. And they've done it for years, and it is a blessing. So if I ever bomb... On a sermon, you know they neglected to pray for me that day. It was their fault, right? (laughs) Prayer moves the hand of God. I don't understand that. He asks us to pray. He is a sovereign agent, and yet he says, pray. He calls us to do that. So I'll close with a good quote here from A.W. Tozer. He says, God answers prayer not because we are good, but because he is good. He is good. So some values for, from Paul's ministry that I think ought to influence our own gospel outreach, interdependence, generosity, and a priority of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this amazing salvation that we have that we did not deserve. Thank you for the body of Christ where we get to see your grace in various forms poured out on other people, people who have gifts and callings that we ourselves don't have, and we can be blessed by them, and we can be a blessing to them. And Lord, I pray that we would see ourselves, not just as an isolated, secular or a isolated church, secluded up here on the hillside, happy to be saved, but we would see ourselves as an outpost of heaven, given a mission to take the gospel to the unbelieving world, and that we would be ambassadors for you looking for regular gospel conversations and opportunities to share the good news of what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. Help us to remember that hell is real. The gospel is true and people need it. May we love them enough to take it to them. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.